Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Father, we thank you for the reading of your Word. We give you praise and glory. Open up our eyes and our ears that we might understand what you want us to receive today. Let the bread of life fall, Father, as we worship you, magnify you, as we enjoy this time of studying your word. May you be glorified and magnified. In Yeshua's name we give thanks. Amen. Okay. So today we're talking about Shemot, Exodus 15 through 16. So what are we going to talk about today? So we're going to talk about plagues. We're going to talk about this phrase, fullness of the Gentiles. These are all things that are in our New Testament prophet and Torah portion. We're going to talk about righteous acts. What does it mean to fear the Lord? And I'm going to be using that phrase instead of changing it to fear Yahuwah. I want to keep it as fear the Lord because there are a lot of people that are watching online. We've had a humongous increase in, in um, people watching across the earth of the, just since the election. It just like tripled every day nearly. It's just it's like crazy. And so I, I, I don't want to speak in an unknown tongue and them not understanding what I'm saying because it's, they need to catch what this phrase is. And so I'm going to keep a lot of it in the, the language that people understand for this week. So bear with me through that. We're going to talk about how, what's this about remembering, why it's important to remember him and what it means to forget him about rebelling against him and how it's tied to forgetting him. We're going to talk about the bitterness that comes in and how to rectify the root of bitterness. So let's start in our New Testament portion in Revelation chapter 15. Revelation 15 says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of Elohim is finished. The word plague here is this Greek word which means a public calamity amongst the people. It's public, right amongst the people. A heavy affliction, now tormenting, now destroying the bodies of men, and sent by Elohim as a punishment. I don't know about you, but just the definition of that, I don't want any part of it. Don't want anything to do with that stuff. I've got a really good friend of mine, Royce. He watches each week, and he's been reading the Bible. I'm so thankful he's been listening to it. And he read, listened to the part about the, the, the beasts that come out that are tormenting men and uh, how terrible they are and what comes upon man and can't die. He says, I don't want any part of that. That's scary enough. I don't want to be here when that happens. So moving on in Revelation 15, verse 3 says, And they sang the song of Moshe, the song of of the bondservant of Elohim, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works. And I'm leaving some out of this passage for reason. I'm gonna, we're going to revisit it later because I'm wanting you to catch something here. 
How marvelous are your works. Love this song, by the way. Uh, O Yahuwah Elohim, the Almighty, righteous and true are your ways. King of the Goyim, king of the ethnos. Remember, these are the, well, we'll talk about it here in a minute. For all the Goyim, all the ethnos, will come and worship before you. So everywhere you see the red word, it is Goyim or ethnos. Goyim in Hebrew, ethnos in Greek. All of these red. And so in, Re- in Genesis 48, 19, it says, But his father refused and said, I know my son, I know he also will become a people and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his descendants shall become a mellow ha-goyim, a fullness of the Gentiles. I know the English says multitude, but we need to catch the phrase fullness because it's repeated in Romans 11.25. And I say this because the writer of Romans gets it that who is being brought in and who the fullness is. It's the northern kingdom that the master said he came for, who he died for, to bring them in so it would become a fullness again. And so he says, for I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to who? Israel, until the fullness, until the mellow Hagoim has come in. Because all the nations will come and worship. They've got to be brought in. So I used to think it's a hardening of Judah, but I'm realizing it's actually a hardening of the northern kingdom, which has happened the last 2,000 years. So that until it's time, when he's apportioned the time, for us all to get it. And so we can come in and start walking in his ways again. So it's awesome. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans from the Greek city of Corinth in about A.D. 57, just three years after the 16-year-old Nero had ascended to the throne as emperor of Rome. So he's not speaking to Judah here. He's speaking to the people who have been outcast into Rome and the other areas. He's writing this in Corinth. So he's, got, he's been sent to a specific group of people. The master told him who to go to. So hardening has happened to us and our descendants. We can't say, why did this happen? God had the plan. that We wouldn't get it until his appointed time now. Praise be to his name. Continuing in Revelation 15, verse 4, it says, For your righteous acts, this is one word in Greek, and it's that word I keep showing you, dikaiomata, which means that when it's in the plural, it means the divine precepts of the Mosaic law. So basically says, for your Torah has been revealed. This is revelation, folks. And you need to be putting this in your, your arrow quiver so that you can show your family that the Torah is not done away with. He's talking about this whenever the king is returning in Revelation. And like I showed you last week in the the movie, (laughs) um, The Chosen, Yahushua says, I am the law of Moses. Wonderful stuff. So Ralphie has uh, last week touched on this this verse in in Acts chapter 9 about uh, the fear of the Lord. And uh, it's actually in our portion this week, which is like, I was so glad. It's like, Father, 
it, it's just amazing how he puts us in our same our minds together to unify to come together on something and and I think we need to see what this is about because I can't prove it but I know that whenever the church fathers were putting together the New Testament and codifying it, assembling it all together, they were trying to keep separation from anything Hebraic because of the persecution that was coming from the Romans. And so anything in the letters that looked like an association with the Torah would have been maybe hidden or taken out. I can't prove that, but I'm just wondering because I want to show you something. If that happened... There would have been Hebrew-isms, Hebrew idioms that would have not been caught by the average reader, and yet they're there for us that, that can go back and search it out and see, okay, I, this is what, from a Hebraic mindset, this is what was understood by this phrase. We're going to look at this phrase real quick. In Revelation 15, verse 4 says, For who will not fear you, O Yahuwah, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. There's a way we glorify his name. We glorify his character because we walk in the ways that he asks us to walk. Deuteronomy 10, 12 gives us an idea of what this means. I want you to notice that every, every verse, the, the phrase fear of the Lord is connected to keeping the commands. Just watch. Now Israel, what does Yahweh your Elohim require from you but to fear Yahweh your God to walk in his ways and love him. How does he say to love him? Keep my commandments. To serve Yahuwah, there's the serving. How do we serve him? We serve him because we keep his commands. We serve Yahuwah Elohim with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Verse 6-2 says, So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your Elohim to keep all his... Now, the word statutes here and in 624 is this Greek word, dikaiomata, which means the divine precepts of the Mosaic law. So here you see that same Greek word here, oops, here in 6.2 and 6.24, which means it's not just statutes, it's keeping the Torah. So that your grandson might fear the Lord your Elohim to keep his Torah, his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Verse 24 of chapter 6. So that Yahweh commanded us to observe all this Torah to fear the Lord our Elohim for our good, just until Yeshua comes back, always and for our survival as it is this day. Deuteronomy 31, 12. Assemble the people, the men and the women, the children and the alien who is in your town. Oh, it's not just the ethnic people. Nope, it's the alien too. The alien who is in your town so that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord, your Elohim, and be careful to observe all the words of this Torah. So you can see that this phrase, fearing the Lord, was an understanding that meant walking in his instruction, keeping his commands, keeping his Torah. It's very clear. So I want to point out to you, Acts chapter 13, verse 26. It says, brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God. Here they are in Acts again, 
realizing all of you are keeping the Torah. To us, the message of this salvation has been sent. 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to Elohim. Again, they're talking to the people of the northern kingdom. They're telling those of you who are keeping the Torah. 2 Corinthians 7.1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Perfecting holiness in keeping God's Torah. Boy, it makes it real clear. Now, Philippians 2.12, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear is not, <laughs> it's the fear of the Lord. Work out your salvation in walking out His ways. <laughs> By the way, If I'm not supposed to fear man, that means I'm not to keep his commands. Because remember, Yeshua was, was chastising them in the day for keeping the traditions of men and not God's commands. So if I'm not supposed to fear man who has not the power of life and death, I'm not to keep his commands. I'm to keep God's commands because he does have the power of life and death. Makes much more sense to me now when you get this phrase in its context, what it really means. Second Kings 17.34 says, To this day, they do according to the earlier customs. They do not fear the Lord. And now you're going to see it tied together really good. Nor do they follow the statutes or the ordinances of the Torah or the commandments which Yahweh commanded the sons of Jacob. Again, tying the two together. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And before honor comes humility. Acts 9.31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the Torah and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. Luke 1.50, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward who? Those who are scared of him? No, those who are walking in his statutes, his commands. That's what it's meaning. This is how we remember him. Now we're going to see how to forget him. I want to read to you, because Rafi brought it up today in his study, Acts chapter 10. Verse 1, it says, Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion, of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared Elohim, a man who was keeping the Torah, a guy from Italy, Italian, Italian. He's keeping the Torah, right? My wife will like that. And by the way, again, just reiterating what Revelation 15.4 says, Who will not keep your Torah, O Yahuwah, to glorify your name? For you are holy. Hallelujah. Okay. 
Forgetting the Almighty, Psalm 106.6, this is our prophet portion. And we're to proclaim him at the feast, always. We're to proclaim his deeds at the feast. Why? So that we don't forget, so that we remember him, so that it's always in our mind what he has done. Because we're going to learn as they came out of the Red Sea, they come to the bit of water, and they're forgetting right now. Because they're not speaking about him continuously. We have sinned like our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindness. And when that happened, they rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his own name, that he might make his power known. So, we've got to remember. And you know what the adversary wants people to do? To forget God. If you can get the people to forget about his commands and the way he taught us in the Torah, then they forgot. And what comes after that? Rebellion. And why is the United States in the predicament it's in? Rebellion. The, the love, the, the walking in his commands has grown cold. So here's how we remember him. The fact that zakar, by the way, this word rebel is, or remember is zakar. The fact that zakar appears so often demonstrates that remembrance in ancient Israel was a major part of proper worship. Psalm 22, 27, for example, declares, All the ends of the world shall remember and teshuva unto Yahuwah, and all the kindreds of the nations, the goyim, the, the, the ethnos, shall worship before thee. Psalm 45, 17 also declares, I will make thy name to be remembered. That's glorifying. Here we go. To glorify his name. Uh, I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise you forever and ever. As does Psalm 63, my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on what? If you're meditating on him, what are you meditating? You never saw him, so what are you meditating on? You're meditating on his precepts, his statutes, his judgments, his Torah. Day and night, we simply cannot worship unless we are remembering. Hallelujah. Indeed, one of the greatest acts of worship is to remember what he has done. The psalmist again declares, I will remember the works of Yahuwah. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. Who is so great a God is our God. Mm, love that stuff. So when you stop remembering, rebellion sets in. So again, everywhere else, this word we're encountering in our Torah portion Marar, pictures man's perpetual rebellion against God. There was hope, however, that the generation to come might know his laws, even the children which should be born. Who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in Elohim and not forget the works of Elohim, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation one that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God, walking 
with him. Two can't walk together unless what? They're in agreement. As George says and quotes, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. We don't repeat the rebellion that they're doing here in our Torah portion. Not good. Our prophet portion uh, was Psalm 106, but I wanted to bring this up to you, Psalm 96.1. So sing to Yahuwah a new song. Sing to Yahuwah all the earth. Sing to Yahuwah, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Oh, wait a minute. Yeshua hasn't come yet. What are they talking about? It's because they knew that he was an everlasting savior. That if you worshiped and followed him, he's always going to deliver you from your enemies, including the one of death that, took, that was taken care of at the cross. Tell of his glory among the goyim, the ethnos, the ones that the apostles are being sent to. His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. And by the way, that word peoples is amim. And this is the, the phrase Hosea says, the people that are going to be low amim are going to become amim again. And so he's sending them to that same group tied together with ethnos. For great is Yahuwah and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Because let me tell you something. The, as we've been pointing out, this nation is fearing Baal, Ishtar, and Moloch. They're fearing them right now by walking in the things they've declared and not the things that the Almighty has said. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but Yahweh made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So, Isaiah 49 is also a part of our prophet portion. Thus says Yahuwah, in an acceptable time, the definition in Hebrew and Greek are in the red below, I have heard thee. In a day of salvation, I have helped thee. I have formed thee and given thee for a covenant to the nations to establish the earth and to cause to inherit the desert heritages. We're inheriting some desert heritages right now. <laughs> Saying to them that are in bonds, I talked about this last week, go forth and bidding them that are in darkness to show themselves. I'm skipping down to the last, verse 14, but Zion said, Yahweh has forsaken me, and Yahweh has forgotten me. Here's the key to forgetting. Do you see that forsaking and forgotten are tied together? When you forsake, you forget. So when you, for, you forsake the Torah, you have forgotten God. You're no longer remembering Him. So the word acceptable is this word, ratzon, pleasure, delight, favor. It is used in the satisfaction of a debt, both in the sense of atonement for sin. Did your Savior come at an acceptable time for you? He did. The Greek word says to denote that most blessed time when salvation and the free favors of Elohim are profusely abounding. How many of you want to see all of that profusely abound again? Amen? Hallelujah. Questions and comments, raise your hand. The microphone will make its way to you. You guys are very quiet today. Hopefully you'll pick up when we get to the Torah portion.
Uh, so this word show themselves, I wanted to cover, cover this for you, it says saying to them that are in the bonds who are in darkness to show themselves. This word show is the Hebrew word galah, which means to uncover, remove, to uncover in the call. The verb is used frequently with the organs of sense as the object, the ear, the eye. When Elohim reveals himself to Balaam, it is said that he, his eyes are uncovered or opened, and it appears that in this manner, Balaam saw something which he otherwise could not see. So when he's saying, this is Mark's take on it, he says he's talking, I believe, to us that we were in darkness and we're going to show ourselves, meaning our eyes are going to be opened to the Torah and we're going to see it. We're going to realize it. We're going to now recognize it, and we're going to want to take it in. Our eyes have been opened to his word. And it appears in this manner that Balaam saw something which he would not have seen, which is where we were. We otherwise wouldn't have seen it had he not opened our eyes to the wonderful things of his word. Where it is parallel to the nephal, to be visible, thus it also means to be known and to be revealed. I'm even glad that he's revealed himself to you. Hallelujah. It is one of the characteristics of Deuteronomy that it stresses the duty to love Elohim as well as to acknowledge Elohim as Israel's Savior. We're talking about Deuteronomy here. To acknowledge Him as the Savior. This wasn't just something that started in, in Matthew. The singular deity in the world who rules in it solitary splendor. You must love the eternal your Elohim with all your heart, with all your soul, all your might. This is the great theme to which the book returns time and again. The duty presupposes by its nature a reciprocal relationship that we're going to do the same to him. I know we're going to forget all that. That's what the enemy wants us to do so that we're not reciprocal. We've been walking in the unreciprocal for 2,000 years. Oh, but people say, but yet I, I loved God. No, you loved him the way you wanted to love him. How does he say to love him? That's the key. For God loves Israel and has loved it since the days of our patriarchs and matriarchs as love freely extended to the people chosen mysteriously and explicitly. But no love, neither divine nor human, can exist in a vacuum. Without mutual loyalty, its roots dry up and its flowers wither. And since Elohim is by nature a faithful Elohim, El Ne'eman, it is Israel's loyalty that needs to be nurtured and strengthened. Our loyalty needs to be nurtured and strengthened. What do you think is happening now in these last two decades? What is God doing? He's nurturing us and he's strengthening us because he's opened our eyes to how to love him. How are we really to love him now that we've missed it? And although love itself cannot be forced, the uniquely desirable relationship it engenders is constantly held up to Israel. In that sense, it becomes a must for disenchanted love often turns to anger, which we're going to see in our Torah portion. People think they've been disenchanted and they're going to get angry with Moses. And by the way, how is it that when they get angry with Moses, he says that they're actually getting angry with him? How is that happening? What happens there? 
Is Moses not the one that he chose to, to serve him? So if you're complaining against him, you're actually complaining against Elohim. Be careful about who you complain against. Hosea, Jeremiah, and the second Isaiah, as well as the rabbinic view of the Song of Songs, saw Elohim and Israel in this quasi-conjugal relationship. Bliss is in store for the bride, identified with Israel, who deserves the love of her bridegroom, Elohim. But woe to her if she betrays Elohim's trust in her. She will be cast out. This is what happened to the northern kingdom. She'll be thrust into darkness, and only a merciful lover, remembering their past affection, can restore her to her former position. See Hosea, Jeremiah, and Isaiah. Hand is up back here. Rabbi, um, yes. back a little bit. When, we were ta- when you were saying, isn't it the same as when they're angry at Moshe, they're actually angry at Yahuwah? Yes. Ten Commandments tell us uh, not to use his name in vain. Isn't that tied to that? I mean, because uh, not to use his name in vain means if we're representing him, we should represent him according to what You're, you're misrepresenting wanted. his character, yes. And that's something very interesting because in our portion today, they haven't received the commandments at Sinai yet. But we're going to find out, did they, miss, did they know his character and did they misrepresent the character? So it's a good point you brought. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Exodus 15.22, Torah portion alert, Torah portion alert. Moses, I'm, and this is from here on, I'm using the Septuagint. Moses removed the sons of Israel from the Red Sea, led them into the wilderness of, of, of sin, and they so, were sojourning there for three days in the wilderness and were not finding water to drink. We're just not getting what we want. I want water, and I want John Ellis water. <laughs> I don't just want the well water. I want John Ellis water, Right? I mean, how many of us find ourselves in this spot of complaining about something when we really are unfounded in our complaint? I know I'm, I'm there. And they came to Merar and could not drink the water because it was bitter. Therefore, the name of that place was called bitterness. I like the way the Greek calls it straight out. It's the place of bitterness. And the people were complaining against Moshe, saying... What are we going to drink? There's nothing to drink, Moses. We want you to do all the work. We're going to go back in the tent and sit down. Can you go out and dig a hole or something and bring us some water? It's only four million of us. Surely you can do it. So their way of fleshly happiness was being challenged. I mean, you say sometimes my fleshly happiness can get challenged. What flows from us Is it a spring of bitterness when this challenge happens or a spring of sweetness? Mm. I love this quote. When the supply fails, faith is soon gone. Cut off the supply of 
fleshly happiness, and faith goes, just take the little paper airplane and go like that. Thus, even Israel forgot the many proofs of the grace of Elohim and his provisions and his power, which had already received, had already witnessed it. They're already ready to go. He can't do anything here. Should they, instead of talking to Moses, should they have been praying to the Most High and asking him for provisions? Amen. All right. So, he cried out. So, before I get into this, I saw something this year that I just didn't see before, and I see this pattern that's taking place. As soon as the bitterness takes place, what takes place is really interesting. And so we're going to start off with, he cries out to Yahuwah. Yahuwah shows him the Hebrew word is etz. You can see here uh, the first thing down. It is wood, it's timber, it's stock, it's a plank, it's stock stick, but it's a tree. What is our song? Etz Chaim, the tree of life. How do you know that the tree of life brings sweetness into your life? So he shows him a tree and he throws the tree in the tree and this water becomes sweet. Psalm 106.13 says, They quickly forgot his works. Why? Because they did not wait for the purpose. They didn't wait for the purpose. What we're going to see here, God's got a purpose here for them. But it isn't complaining. Complaining is going to teach them a lesson. Hand is up over here. I think. <clears throat> Thanks. Um, so I was looking at this and I was wondering, like, what is the tree that was thrown to the water? And it, yep. it doesn't really say, but so I did some looking into it and everything. And what I did find was that wood, um, biblically speaking, could be is viewed as salvation. And I was looking and so we look at like the tree of life that we have Noah's Ark was made out of wood. And then, so I was looking further into it, and the main trees in that area would have been Arcadia wood, right? Is that how you say it? Okay. Huh? Acacia wood. And so I was looking, so I was like, I'm going to do a word search on this word. So if you uh, do a word search on it, a lot of this wood, or all the whole entire tabernacle was made with this wood from the structure of the, uh, of the tent all the way to all the furnishings yep. that were in same the, wood. the same wood was all the furnishings and was outlaid with gold and so forth. Um, and then I was looking at, well, wood is important because there was the, um, the, the, uh, the, the, the fire, the, the um, daily sacrifice had to be continually burned. It couldn't go out. And even um, the wood had to be brought in as an offering. So families would have to be, would offer the wood and bring the wood in so they will have a continuous flow of wood. Amen. And also Moshe called for like all the earrings and the gold and everything so they could outline the, uh, so, could they, so could build the, the tabernacle, right? And then he also called for acacia wood um, as an offering. And so wood is, like salvation and then we look at the 
the, the tabernacle, that is a blueprint of salvation. You know, so I think it's quite possible that this wood that was, you know, showing like, you know. Even though we don't know 100%, what we do know is it brought sweetness out of what brought them salvation yes. because if not they were gonna just think about it so if and i don't know who's felt like really felt there <laughs> i working in construction i've came really near to uh dehyd well, well i was past dehydration i came near to a heat stroke and when i was in iraq um we were assaulting uh, this place and i was I wasn't able to continue because I didn't have I didn't have time to drink water, and it's a horrible thing. So these people did have that fear, like where am I? I'm probably they're probably thirsty and they're in the middle of the desert, and it's like where's this water? Like this water that we came to is now is like we can't drink it. Where's the next? Where we can get this? What well, they're fearing, but then this wood did bring salvation. So you know. So in with that, so you, you brought up another thought I hadn't thought of. In we, I tease people in my house when I see people, uh, some of my kids and stuff, they're, they're just drink, you know, they grab something and they're just drinking a whole big lot of it. And I'll tease around and say, man, we get to a point we've got to be watching water. I'm going to have to watch you real close. So the point is, in this space of, of getting really tight with water, do you think they were watching? People, you know, hey, so-and-so over there is drinking way too much water. You're going to have to put a leash on so-and-so because he's going over there way more than he should be going, and he's guzzling that stuff. It's precious now, right? It's getting down to the last few drops. <laughs> hey, you people are people. This is going to happen, right? But we've got to keep in mind what's going on here. So this, the Greek word for, for this tree is wood universally that which is made of wood as a beam from which anyone is suspended? Did you notice that? A beam from which anyone is suspended. A cross. Wow. That's not my word. This is the definition in the Greek of what this word is. We have a hand up right here. Oh, also, uh, these people have only been out in the desert, what, a couple months at this point? So when they were in Egypt, even though they were in Egypt, they were living in, I'll say, relative comfort because they all had homes. You know, they had a place to go at night. They had, like they said, they had pots of meat and bread. And now they're thrust into this whole new experience. And uh, I just wonder... How would we fare if we were in their shoes? I mean, it's easy for us yeah, to say, yeah. eh, they're I grumbling know. again and complaining. Yeah. But, you know, if we're taken out of our comfort zone, how do we react? You know, I mean, yeah. and they were in a pretty, uh, you know, I don't think we have really truly, we as Americans, I mean, uh, because most of the world lives in poverty, but we as Americans, I don't think we've experienced anything close to what these people are going through. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're people. We will get the chance. We're people. I mean, I, went, I used to go to a lunch with a, a gentleman that uh, at lunch, and would eat pretty good-sized portion, he would drink a whole entire pitcher of tea with the meal, a whole pitcher. 
Yeah, no, like with what Mike was saying, I think it's, uh, it's an honest way of looking at it. And I'm sure I was just thinking, it's like, wow, Pharaoh wasn't that bad of a guy, you know, in some sense. Well, we had this, we had this back there, and all of a sudden everything is different, you know. And it's, it's a reality, like you're saying. Yeah. We ha it is a reality for yep. us. Yep, sure is. Well, I just have a little true confession here. Um, this happened a while back, but at one day I had been grumbling about this and that, and I mean, you know, on and on. And the Lord stopped me and he said, you know, I want you to thank me for everything you touch this whole day. Ooh. And so thank you, Lord, for the shower. Thank you for the soap. Thank you for the toilet paper. Thank you for, I mean to yeah. tell you, if you stop and think about what you can be grateful for, yes. the grumbling goes away. Amen to that. Another hand. When you look at the Hebrew word for putrid, it's mem, kof, uh, mak. And then tav is symbol of the cross. When you put that letter tav in the middle of the mem and the kof, it becomes matak which means sweet. So when we learn to apply the cross to the bitterness we experience in our life, it becomes sweet. Amen. Amen. Now, how crazy is it with what you just said that the Greek word is talking about a, a suspended and cross? I mean, it's pretty amazing how that all ties together. Okay, and so this other uh, word here for, okay, yes, go ahead. He has a mic. I'm just going to say that that also goes with the what you just said with the the Hebrew root of etz, which is 6095, which is asa, which means to fasten or make firm. Ah, amen. We need to have his his tree of life fastened and firm to our life, don't we? So, especially of the purpose of Elohim's respecting the salvation. There you go, tying the salvation of men through Messiah. All the contents of the divine plan, the counsel of his will. And we talked about last week, what is his will for us? Very easy to understand. So we're to remember the former things long past. He says, for I am Elohim, and there is no other declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure, calling the man of my purpose, literally the man who executes my purpose, from a far country. Truly I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have planned, and surely I will do. I have a question for you. What came first, the Ten Commandments or the Torah? Huh? The Torah, right? And so we talk about, we, every time something comes up in the text, you know, it says that, that uh, Abraham kept all of my Torah. It's right in the text. Abraham kept all of my Torah. We see all these places were evidences of them walking and keeping Torah. Well, we have another one here in our portion today. So I wanted to point out to you that Revelation 15.3 says, For your righteous acts have been revealed. As soon as he shows him the tree of the, I'll just keep it to tree. I'm adding the tree of life. It says, there he set for him, here's that same Greek word for the divine precepts of the Mosaic law. He set for him the Torah and judgments, and there he tested him. 
He's showing Moshe the Torah as soon as he shows him the wood. So we've got the, the tree of, I'm saying the tree of life, and here comes the Torah. Now, if you look at the Torah, the Torah is setting on uh, animal skin, but it's rolled up on what? They call it two etzes, two trees it's rolled up on. I am, he says, the law of Moses. <laughs> you got to love it. So here we have this happening. So we've got the Torah coming to Moses right here in 1525. And he says he tested him, the word nasa, to test, try, prove, tempt, to put to the proof, to put to the test. Now watch what happens here. In most contexts, our Hebrew word has the idea of testing or proving the quality of someone or something, often through adversity or hardship. Here we've got the adversity and hardship of no water. So now the quality of Moses is being tested with the lens and the filter of the Torah. Let's see, Moses, if you're measuring up to my standards. Like you said, you, you know, start getting thankful. How quickly we can be humbled. The rendering tempt used frequently generally means to prove, to test, put to the test, rather than the current English idea or, of enticing to do wrong. Now watch this. A connection of our word nasa with the word ness, meaning sign or standard, is also possible. Now that's important because this is what was lifted up with the snake, and it talks about in the prophets that he will lift up a ness, a standard to the nations. Wow. Especially if nasa can be understood as a military term. A nest serves to characterize and identify a tribe or a military unit. Is he now identifying the tribe here who he's bringing out to make a nation of them and set a standard amongst them? The Greek word to test is to make a trial a test for the purpose of ascertaining his quality or what he thinks or how he would behave himself in a good sense, to try or test one's faith, virtue, character. Whose character? Does he really want to know your character, or is he wanting to see if his character is in you? I am the Torah of Moses, he says. <laughs> immediately after the bitter water experience, and immediately after seeing the Torah, they're taking to living water the springs. And they came to Elim and 12 springs of water, 70 date palm trunks were there, and they camped there by the living water. Are you seeing the connection with our Master and our Savior to everything that's been happening so far? And by the way, they go a three days journey. But you know, they were supposed to go three days journey to sacrifice to Yahuwah From Pharaoh, they told Pharaoh, we must go three days' journey to sacrifice to Yahuwah. The Greek word for bitter means harsh, virulent. 
James 3.14, the Greek word for water means allegorically that which refreshes and keeps alive the soul is likened to water, the spirit and the truth of Elohim. So they come here to be revived by the spirit at the waters. Came to the Torah, now it's come to have a revival in their soul with the spirit of the Most High. Wow. Is he a faithful Elohim or what? How awesome is it? If you have comments or questions, raise your hand. So check this out. The next thing that happens is as they set out from Elim and the entire congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and between Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month, this is the second Passover. This would be the first day of unleavened bread. Again, pointing to the Messiah, the Passover lamb. Wow. Crazy stuff. Then Yahweh says to Moses, I'm going to bring bread of heaven down to you. So now they've come to the tree of life. They've come to the Torah. They come to the Spirit at the living water. They, they encounter the, the, the unleavened bread, first day of unleavened bread, and now they're going to get bread from heaven. What do we say when we do this blessing? The bread, he is the bread of life, right? And then it goes on in verse 12, it says, I have heard the complaining of the sons of Israel. Speak to them saying, towards evening you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with the bread. Notice they didn't get filled with the meat. The filling, the real satisfaction came when the bread of life the meat was for the flesh. He's going to now satisfy the soul and the spiritual man. Wow. Good stuff. <laughs> Exodus 16, 13. So evening came, quail came, covered the camp. When morning came, the dew was lifting around the camp. And look, upon the surface of the wilderness was something like fine coriander. It's like cornflakes. Don't know if it was sugared or not, but uh, actually it does say it kind of tasted like honey. White like frost on the ground. It's kind of like cornflakes, isn't it? Uh, frosted flakes. And when they saw it, the sons of Israel said to one another, here's the Hebrew word, manhu. Sounds a lot like imanhu. L. Imanu. L which is what he's called. Hmm. This is the bread of life coming down that we find out he's called Emanu, El, and this stuff's called Manu. Manna. You, we say manna, but the, actually the transliteration really says Manu. But they did not know what it was. And Moses said, this is the bread that Yahweh has given you. Now watch this. This is the bread that Yahweh has given you. This is the word. <laughs> that's so awesome. That's so awesome. So that's the Manu. It's the word. Comments, questions, raise your hand. I'm going to move to another slide to show you something else. 
Bob, go ahead. In this portion of Beshalach, as you progress through the food, it's tied to commandments. It becomes <laughs> less physical and more spiritual. So you had the unleavened bread uh, tied to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's a commandment. Then you had the bitter water made sweet is attached to listen to my voice and heed my commandments. And then now the manna rains down, but it doesn't really say anyone saw the manna rain down. It just says he rained down the manna, and it was found on the ground with the dew. So you could look at it. Some people today will look at the Bible and say, wait, where did that come from? It's a spiritual food that Adonai has provided us. We don't see it. It's not the earthly food from man going up. Amen. So it's the spiritual food. And then so as we proceed with God, our food becomes more, or I should say, less earthly and more spiritual. And our substance becomes less of this world and more of that one. And it becomes less of that I have God, but more of that God has me. Good and stuff. if you notice with the, the manna, it's tied, I guess just to say, as the, as the food becomes more spiritual, the um, commandments become more specific. <laughs> so it hits the manna, then it starts talking about the Sabbath. Yeah. Collect it on this day, don't collect it on that day. So... That's where we're going next. So we get the bread of life. And what happens next? Uh, this talks about they collected it. Uh, and by the way, and I, I put this in here because whenever you're, anytime you're working, yes, go ahead. I'll, I'll have you speak before, before I share this. Go ahead. Um, I just wanted to um, kind of do an overview of where we've been. And they had just come, this is kind of going to be backwards, but it's, it's going to bring it all together, okay? So they had just come through the Red Sea, right? And then they traveled three days' journey into the wilderness. And they didn't find anything that was drinkable as far as water. And so um, remember how a couple of weeks ago I said that salvation wasn't complete until your enemy was taken care of? Yep. Well, this is these four verses, four or five verses right here, is um, talking about the plan, basically, that God set in place. And what it says is that um, in Pesach, the blood of the Lamb brought us from death to life. That kept us from God's judgment for death, okay? Then the next thing was the Exodus, and that was leaving, in, leaving slave, being enslaved, okay? But it isn't finally complete until we cross through the Red Sea and the destruction of the enemy happens in the Red Sea. And so um, what happens is, is in Romans 6, 4, it talks about how, um, gosh, I can't remember. Well, I could look up Romans 6, 4 real quick and tell you. Yeah. Romans 6, 4. Huh? Yeah, Paul, give us a, a tune real quick. Okay, so remember they went through the Red Sea, right? And through immersion into his death, we were buried with him, so that just as through the glory of the Father, the Messiah was raised from the dead, likewise we too might live a new life. 
So they're actually transferring from the physical into the spiritual. They're transferring from one realm to another realm. And he, the Lord has taken them three days into the wilderness. Here they don't find any drinkable water. So there's no natural resource for them. And so then this is when he shows them the tree. And you can see in, oh, I don't know where my notes went. Um, 1 Peter 2.24, Revelation 22.2, 22.14, and Genesis 9. I believe, you guys can do your own study, but I believe it's a picture of the tree of life in the garden and the cross that Yeshua hung on. Amen. And so... Um, That's kind of what we're kind of pointing out to here, and you're adding more uh, clarity to it. That's awesome. Right. And so um, when he cast that piece of that tree of life or that cross into the water, then it became drinkable. So it was like he became, our, it's like our spiritual eyes became open because it said, um, which is right in his, he's, he told us that um, to do his commandment, which is right in his sight and right in his ears. So he, he points out sight and ears. And then he also says he gives us his mitzvot and his kuchot, his commandments and ordinances. We're not even to Sinai yet, <laughs> yeah. right? That's so right. that's very important to think about because yeah. that tells you two things. It tells you, one, God's law is forever and always before the middle, in <laughs> yeah. the be beginning, yeah. all yeah. the time. Yeah. And, and then also it tells them that when you grumble and complain and you get into the point, like she said, and you get grateful and you look at the cross, you look at the tree of life, then your life becomes sweet. And yes. that's when he yes. gives us the Torah, the yes. commandments yes. to follow. Yes. And so the bottom line is, to have a sweet life, you follow Torah. Amen. Yep. Go ahead. Yes, how to walk in him, yes. So one of the things that's, at least in my mind, becoming inherently clear is separation work. And even if we look at the days of creation, the waters were separated. So there was the ones above and there was the one below. So you're talking about heavenly things or are you talking about earthly things? Uh, Paul mentioned earthly things and heavenly things. And it's interesting that the complaint that they had always had to do with earthly things or food, what they were to eat, what they were to eat. And yet, Instead of them giving food from the ground, he gave them food from the heavens, and he put it on the ground. Amen. So when we stop and we think about, okay, how are we going to have the word of Elohim in our hearts? What are we eating? What are we digesting? Am I watching, and I don't even know if this show's still on, but <laughs> if I'm, am I spending too much time watching Dancing with the Stars? Or I'm, am I looking to the stars or looking to the heavens and looking to the word of God? so that I can be nourished in that sense. So it, look at the parallelisms and the patterns all through Scripture about where does your nourishment come from. Because you got water, yes, yes. you have bread, yes. you have life, yes. and all of these things associated. Amen, amen. You know, it's good stuff. So you reminded me of something else about, here's the enemy being destroyed, destroyed right at the Red Sea. So as soon as the enemy is destroyed... Could this now, when he brings the Torah to them here, is this the sealing? They're being sealed with the Word of God. So I, you know, because we talk about how that Tav is the sealing 
you know, of the people that don't get destroyed. So I'm wondering here, we're seeing in today's time, looking at us, these gods of Babylon have been running amok in our nation and in our lives. We get, these things happen to us, and we get shown the tree of life. We get shown the Torah, and that Torah goes into our hearts, as Jeremiah 31, 31 says, and then we become sealed. Yes, he defeated the enemy, but now we're being sealed by the word of Elohim, which is, like you pointed out, it's going to bring that sweetness because we're walking around bitter. We're walking around with, which is what the enemy wants us to be. He wants us to be, as you said, unthankful. He wants us to be complaining. He wants us to be murmuring. He wants us to be doing all these things that the, that the world does instead of coming into, I mean, was, wasn't Yeshua sweet all the time? He was just sweet. So that's where we should be, yes. We know, Rabbi, I can tell you, I can tell you this from my experience, okay? There was nobody there that had the problem I have. <laughs> I had esophagus cancer. My whole esophagus was taken out. <laughs> so I was given my stomach for an esophagus. Yeah. So that esophagus means I get, I get hungry within a couple hours. That's yeah. why I carry a lunch. <laughs> if I don't, my sugar goes crazy and I'll go to sleep. And if nobody recognizes that, adios. I'm happy. I just wanted to add one more thing that the Lord shared with me. He said, what are the things you need for life? I said, food, water, <laughs> a roof over my head, and maybe someone to love. And he said, how much of that do I provide for you? Yeah. And I said, 100%. And he said, so the rest is what? My wants. <laughs> That's right. Amen. Okay. That's good stuff. So I'm bringing you to this to say, if only a real quick, this is just a little, a little blurb, is that anytime you're trying to work out God's calendar, this right here has to fit. If you can't make the sixth days and the seventh day fit here, does it ever say here that there's going to be another day that you do something, or is it just six and one, six and one, six and one, six and one? I don't see anything else. And if you take six and one and multiply it times four, you get what? Huh? If you take the seven times four, you get what? But yet there's not 28 days in a month. So where's the other days coming from if it's all based on this has to work? Just a point, Mark's a little point here. Okay. It happened on the sixth day, they collected double what was required, two omers one for one person, and all the leaders of the congregation went in and reported to Moshe, and he said to them, this is the word that Yahweh spoke. Tomorrow is the Shabbat. We're not even to Sinai yet, as she said, and no Ten Commandments revealed, and yet they're understanding Shabbat way before any of the commandments are coming. So they're learning about Sabbaths here. They've just passed up the, the, the second Pesach, and they're learning about Torah and Shabbat. Hmm, very interesting. So here's the seven steps we've just been through. When we come to the root of bitterness, then he shows us the tree that brings sweetness. 
When we come into that counter, then he brings us to his Torah, his instructions for life. Then he brings us the living water. Then he shows us the Passover lamb. And then he brings us the bread of life. And when we've gone through those six steps, he brings us to peace, the Shabbat. And those are the seven steps we've just witnessed in our Torah portion today. That's how he took care of the bitterness that they brought from Egypt that was still in them. The enemy had been defeated in the flesh, but now the enemy inside has got to be dealt with. And it comes through an encounter with the, the tree of life, his instructions on how to live. What a wonderful thing to solve the bitterness in all of us is we have to have an encounter with the Messiah, the one who is the tree of life, the word, the living word, the bread of life that came down. That's how we have a change in us. And they came to Marah and could not drink from the water because it was bitter. Therefore, the name of that place was called bitterness. He says, and complaining against Moses, Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of Elohim, that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble, and by it you are defiled. See, God doesn't want you to be defiled by bitterness. So what did he do to them to keep them from being defiled? He brought the tree of life to them. He brought the bread of life to them. He brought the living water to them. He brought them to the Shabbat so that the, the root of bitterness doesn't come up in them. So my question is, like a small root that grows into a tree, which tree? Is it either the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or is it the tree of life? Bitterness springs up in our hearts and overshadows even our deepest believers' relationships. A poisonous root of bitterness comes when we allow disappointment to grow into resentment or when we nurse grudges over past hurts. See, they're, they've got this hurt of not having the drink and they, they think they had it so good in Egypt, they're letting those things now dictate what's going on in their life. Bitterness brings with it jealousy, dissension, and immorality, which is exactly what the gods from Babylon want us to do. But when the Holy Spirit fills us, however, He can... Oh, is that in our Torah portion? Hmm. Hold on a second. Uh, does someone have their hand up? Okay, watch this. What stops the bitterness? We need an encounter with the tree of life to make us sweet. We need to heed the instructions that give enlightenment and peace. And he says in verse 26, For I am Yahuwah who heals you. I am, everyone say Yahuwah Rufecha. Matthew 13, 15 says, The Master declares, For the heart of this people have become dull and bitter. <laughs> With their ears they can scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, if their eyes were opened, they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return to Shuvah. And if they turn to me, I will heal them. You see, they turned to God because he just walked through the seven steps of turning back to him. They just had the encounter. And when the encounter comes, 
The healing comes because the enemy that's against you has just been slain and defeated. Amen, yes. While you're on verse 26, going back to verse 25, which precedes it, he says, So he, Moses, cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Then he made a statute, in Hebrew it's kolk, yep. and an ordinance, which is mishpat. Yep. And that leads all into this healing. So when you look at the kolk, it's something that's illogical. So it requires faith to understand. And so it's diligently heed the voice, which is invisible of the Lord, and do what is right in his sight. That's not legalistic doing, <laughs> but it's, it's pleasingly. And then when you look at the mishpat, it's something that is logical, and it needs to apply our reason. So we have our faith, and then we have our reason. One is, so let's give ear to his commandments, which is written on either the stones or the pages. Amen. And keep all his statutes, or we have to guard them, the yes. Torah. Yes. Shema. So you have the physical, excuse me, the spiritual that goes up, the kolk, with the faith, and you have the horizontal, the mishpat. And so basically, uh, when you're trying to build your life or his kingdom, you have to hear his voice, which is the vertical relationship with him. Um, but the level line is your relationship with other people, his in the world, life here. You have to be able to hear his voice and also study and keep his commandments. And we have to learn to live in both realms. Amen. Amen. Well said. That's awesome. Will you all stand with me? So I want to... We've learned a lot today. Can you all say amen? amen? After the Exodus and Red Sea crossing, the Israelites found themselves in the wilderness of Shur, where there was no water. When they finally did find water in Marah, it was too bitter to drink. After sweetening the water, Elohim said, If you will diligently hearken to the voice of Yahweh your Elohim, and will do that which is right in his eyes, and will give ear to his commands, and keep all his statutes. Isn't that what the master is saying here? Hmm. I will put none of the diseases upon you, which I brought upon the Egyptians, because I am Yahuwah who heals you. Aren't you glad we have the healer? Hallelujah. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for this word today, showing us who you are and showing us the plan of salvation and the plan of restoration right here before the children even come to Sinai. Father, you were sealing them with your word, revealing to them your character right here. As soon as bitterness was trying to creep in, the enemy was destroyed in the flesh, but now this spiritual thing's trying to come in, and you put an end to it, just like you did for us. The, the, the decrees of the false gods had been in our midst, and Father, you defeated them on the cross, and now you've shown us your Torah that allows us to become sweet and not have those things upon us that they instituted. We thank you for deliverance. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for restoration, both in flesh legally and in our spirit, man, that we have right relationship with you. We glorify you and praise you for your, you're so awesome as we see you worked all this out in an amazing, miraculous way. 
We thank you. In your son Yahushua's name we give thanks. Amen. Now we get to say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. joining us. Thank you all here. May you have a blessed rest of your Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom.